This is an Odyssey original. This is KX in Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Can you trust your local pharmacy? We go in depth into how pharmacies in California are making lots and lots of mistakes. Airbnbs in LA are raking in more money than ever before, but some of them are not following all the rules. Also, we have a warning. Something in your kitchen could be a danger to you. Watch out for exploding well, we, watermelons. Now, I mean, I actually have... You hear that? I, I heard that, heard and that. that scared me. It, well, that's my watermelon. Right. And you've got one, too. Uh, you 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 deliberately placed it right in front of my face yes, so that it, right. if it does explode, uh-huh. I'll get hit in the face. And, yes. And by the way, you know, management is very concerned that these will explode. Right. And mess up our beautiful surroundings. Yes, we would hate to see that happen. <laughs> but we'll explain what this is all about as we go along. And if the watermelon goes off, well, <laughs> so be it. It will uh, happen live. <laughs> it will happen on live. K-N-X. We start, though, with the, the many, many mistakes made at pharmacies across California, apparently. With us is Dr. Melissa Kamora, who is president-elect at the California Pharmacists Association. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, that is not good news that pharmacies, according to uh, this particular report, make as many mistakes, at least in California. I presume it's in other parts of the country, too, but we'll focus on California. Why so many errors? So, um, you know, as as a pharmacist, obviously, our um, our priority is patient care and safety. And um, it's important to our pharmacists in the profession. But just to be clear, this is an estimate by the California Board of Pharmacy, calculated based on previously published reports and studies of total prescription volume and estimated error rates. This estimate is may not be the most accurate since there is currently no central database or required reporting of errors to the California State Board. Regardless, medication errors are of crucial importance to pharmacists. Yeah, it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds a little bit like you're reading a statement. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but I want to get to the heart of uh, whether or not we're, we're talking about three million mistakes, five, whatever, uh, the report is showing millions of errors in pharmacies all across California. Is that because pharmacists are overworked? Is it because of cutbacks? I mean, what would be the reason for it? Yeah, so there's there's you know many reasons that this could be because, and part of what we're seeing right now is that part of the majority of these errors are coming in the final verification stage. Um, or errors that are leaving the pharmacy, and primary reason can be attributed to poor working conditions, which are created by understaffing and corporate pressures to fill prescriptions quickly, um, which are really highly prevalent in majority of the large chain pharmacy settings that we're seeing. And this could be a big danger. Uh, I know that a lot of people, they get used to, if they're taking a medication for a long period of time, when they get it refilled, uh, they generally will notice if, hey, I opened a bottle, that doesn't look like the pills I got before. So you ask, you know, but then there are prescriptions that you get right after, say, a medical procedure, you've been to a doctor, it's a it's a medis- medication you've never taken before. You don't know what it's supposed to look like. And uh, people just take it assuming that, well, the pharmacist knows what they're doing because they're trained. And this can be very dangerous if it happens to be a mistaken medication that can cause problems for people who are not supposed to be taking it. Uh, it can. Ha- how many times has that happened that you know about that someone has been harmed by a uh, mistaken prescription? 
Absolutely. So, um, you know, I don't have the exact number um, in terms of how many times I know. Um, and like I said, they're not reportable right now to the State Board of Pharmacy. So currently there's a bill, um, AB 1286, which is, um, seeks to make reporting medication errors mandatory to the State Board of Pharmacy so that we can evaluate and publish accurate data on how often these medication errors are occurring. What should people do? Uh, Should they just be kind of advocates for themselves and double check the pharmacy every time they pick up a prescription? Should they go online? Because you could find this info, right? And, And see what the med is that you were given and whether or not the picture matches and whether or not the inscription on the on the capsules, if their capsules matches. Is that what you really need to do now? Well, there's a few things. One, if patients are concerned about the working conditions of the pharmacy that they're using, we would recommend that maybe they look at using another pharmacy more well-staffed and resourced like your local independent pharmacies, but also taking extra time when they're picking up their medications, right? We encourage listeners to complete the medication counseling portion with their pharmacist when they pick up the medications. In practice, what we often see is that many people waive the discussion with their pharmacist, which is where they can actually learn about their medications that they're receiving. And there they can also potentially catch any errors before they even leave the pharmacy. Yeah, but, you know, you, you kind of interestingly opened up a can of worms back there because uh, you were saying about, well, if they don't have trust in the big chain pharmacies, and we all know the ones we're talking about, that they should go maybe to a, a, a smaller independent one. But those, as you know, are, are very scarce. They're very hard to find. When I was growing up, you're right. You'd go into a pharmacy and the pharmacist Jill or Fred or whatever their name was, you knew them, they knew you, you could trust what they were doing. Now you go into a big chain store pharmacy and it seems like every day there's somebody else behind the counter. But is that the best thing to do is to seek out smaller independent pharmacies where you can actually get to know the pharmacist? That That is one um, option. All pharmacists are really focused on patient care, right? So um, really getting, spending the time um, when you walk into your pharmacy um, or ask the pharmacist if you um, need um, or have any extra questions, the pharmacist is there um, to answer any questions. And so spending that time to work with your pharmacist to make sure you're receiving the right medications um, and answer any of your questions if you're ever unsure about what you're picking up. All right. Dr. Uh, Melissa Kimura, president-elect of the California Pharmacists Association. Some uh, good advice there, Charles. Uh, check the pills. Make sure mm-hmm. it looks the way it's supposed to look. Yeah. And ask questions. Yeah, and I do that if it's a med that I don't normally take. I look and see. You know, on the label, by the way, when you pick up a drug, it usually, no matter what pharmacy you go to, it will say what the pill or capsule is supposed to look like. Exactly. So one of the things you can do if you don't want to go online is you can kind of look and see, well, do the pills match the description on the canister, yeah. on the little, you know, what do you call those things? Uh, uh, pill bottles. Pill bottles. There you go. <laughs> uh, the thing that you put the pills in. Yeah. All right. Uh, still ahead. Be careful if you have a watermelon at home because they have formed intelligence and they are preparing <laughs> to take over the world. No, actually, yeah. something even as weird, uh, they have been exploding. I know that sounds weird, uh-huh. but we're not making that up. Watermelons and- have been exploding. Right. And and the noise you're hearing that that's, yes, right. Uh, we both have watermelons here right. in the studio because Charles loves props. I like props, and, yeah. and and we're going to see if these melons are going to uh, go pop. Yeah, uh, on us. And I found out something interesting about yeah that you're the first person. I, I swear this is true. You're the first person I have ever met who says they don't like watermelons. I'm not a fan. Is that a therapy issue? Or? Yeah, it might be because, you know, in my hometown where yeah. I grew up, and, yeah. and I will confess to you, my earliest memory is of wanting to leave 
my hometown. Ah, this uh, is very deep. People liked watermelons a lot, and I yeah. guess it was just one of those things that I associate with where I grew up, and I don't like it. Do you feel the same about, like, cantaloupe? No, cantaloupe's fine. Okay. But it's your watermelon. No, they don't, I, I don't like them. They don't like me. Okay. Right now, though, the, the Hollywood people are weird. The, well, not people. Just, just you. Just, just me. Just you. The, Holly, the Hollywood strikes continue, but could we see a breakthrough this month? Back with us is entertainment attorney Trey Lovell. Trey, do you like watermelon? I do. It's ah. actually my favorite fruit. See, there you go. And Rob doesn't like it. I don't, I don't, like I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to discuss this later on. Uh, Trey, uh, the Hollywood strikes. We're now past Labor Day. I remember talking to you and others way before Labor Day, and people were saying, well, you know, if this goes past Labor Day, we're in big trouble. Well, here we are. It's past Labor Day. Are we in big trouble? You know, uh, I, I, we're getting closer. Um, what people need to realize is it, it's a process. You know, with with these strikes, you know, they they, they really come in phases. You know, it, you know, it. There's the resiliency phase, there's the reality phase, and there's the resolution phase. And, and what I mean by that is this: you know, it starts out with both sides are very resilient. They have their terms. They're very you know uh, adamant, and they're going to just wait until the other side breaks. Uh, and that's what we've seen over the last few months. Then we start getting to the point where where the real effects start to come in. The fear, the worry, the financial repercussions, and both sides start to 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 see things, and they see the the, the long term, and, and it's making them really nervous. And all of a sudden, now you start to think about things that you agree to, where you would have never agreed to at the beginning. Uh, and plus, you have you know third parties stepping in. You know the politicians in this case are putting pressure. The other markets are putting pressure on on the actors and the rioters and the studios to do a deal because everybody's suffering. Uh, and then the last phase is resolution, you know. So I, I think as as far as the strikes now, we're kind of getting from the first phase and going to the second phase, and eventually it's going to settle. It just has to go through its process. There's a rumor that uh, some of the uh, people on the movie and TV and streamer side are arguing amongst themselves uh, that there's some dissension in those ranks. And even one industry person was explaining that uh, the uh, TV and movie people should separate themselves from the streamers and make their own deal. Uh, is that going to lengthen the time of the strike, if that's true, or will it maybe shorten? You know, I, I, I think it would it would probably shorten it a little bit because I think I think, you know, even though there's internal dissension, the overall principles and goals, I think, are the same. They have to kind of kind of wrinkle out, you know, some issues among themselves. Um, but I think the 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 studio side, streaming side, uh, in general, is really starting to feel it, uh, and it's really up to them in terms of how much they they're, they're going to have to give. Um, and I think that's just going to motivate them. Uh, so rather than lingering on, that internal dissension could really put you know a fire uh, under somebody, um, some of these 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 uh, studio heads and streaming heads uh, to really you know. No, you know, bear down and get a deal done. Yeah, although the other way of looking at it, of course, is that as more and more time goes by and each side has their heels dug in, it makes it more difficult for either side to, you know, kind of cave because then their membership or other executives, in the case of studios, might go, oh, you know, you should have held out a little bit longer. We would have gotten more of what we wanted. Yeah, you know, I I would agree with that. Um, I think that's that's part of the process. But I think what's a little more um, uh, prevalent is is the effects each side is feeling. 
you know, now it's becoming, let's just take the studio side. I mean, I was seeing where the Warner Brothers is saying they've lost between 300 and 500 million in earnings thus far, and it's going to increase. You know, pretty soon on the studio side, content's going to start to run out. And, um, you know, the, the, the consuming audience is going to start to see it this fall with some of the TV shows. But as we get into 2024 with movies and things like that, the reality is starting to, 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 to seep in. Uh, and so I think that's going to motivate them more than anything uh, as they start to see that content really go down. And in terms of the actors and and, and the writers, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, a live or die for them. This is a very unusual time. I mean, you know, the 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 mindset is that, you know, if they don't take a stand now, you know, they, they, they never will. And it could affect them. It could even affect the existence of the union, some have been saying. So, you know, they're really steadfast. Um, and so I think it's really got to be the studios that work out among themselves and, you know, and kind of kind of come to a resolution on this on their end, give a little bit, because um, it's just such an unusual mindset with with the workers. Mm. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Trey Lovell, entertainment attorney on when these strikes might end. Well, still to come, watermelons, they apparently can blow up in your face. Mm. I mean, literally. Not making this up. No, we're not. We're not. Rob, of course, doesn't care because he doesn't like watermelons. He's the only person I've ever known who doesn't. So you probably don't care if if the poor melon blows up. Well, they might be aware that I don't like them. And the one sitting nearest to me right now might be more prone to blow up just because of that. Yes, we have two of them here in studio, and we're gonna we're watching yes. them very carefully. I'm attributing intelligence to them. <laughs> well, don't do that, but you never know. They could they could become sentient. Yeah. Uh, right now, though, United Airlines has issued a nationwide ground stoppage. Uh, this happened earlier today because of what the FAA called an equipment outage. Henry Hartevelt is an airline industry analyst and president of the Atmosphere Research Group. Thanks for joining us. Hello. So uh, what was this equipment outage and what happened and, and what, were, what were the effects of it? Well, uh, uh, United has not specified the cause of the outage. It, it could have been their departure control system, which helps control weight and balance. It could have been a problem with their data center. It could have been a connection uh, between the company's data center and, and elsewhere. Uh, but unfortunately, United will not fess up about the cause. The good news is that the uh, Grounding lasted about an hour. Of course, if you were traveling then or you're trying to make connections, there are going to be some downline problems. And it is a a problem that seems to keep cropping up. Uh, I mean, in the past couple of years, I've lost count of one airline or another having to ground flights for different periods of time because of sometimes specified, sometimes unspecified computer glitches, that sort of thing. Is it that they just have really outdated equipment and they haven't really spent all the money that they do have in profits and they did get from COVID relief money to upgrade their systems? Well, uh, not really. I mean, yes, airlines do have some legacy systems, but they've been replacing a lot of their technology infrastructure with more modern uh, technology, hardware and software. Um, and and so that's a good thing. Now, the challenge is that as a thin margin industry, when it comes to profits, uh, uh, airlines are always struggling about what to prioritize uh, when they invest. Could they invest more in their tech? Yes. Should they? Yes. Uh, but um, one thing I am uh, more confident about now is they are better equipped than they were, say, 10 years ago. 
But that's also a problem, isn't it? Even if you're upgrading your computer systems, your software, your hardware, what have you, it's still uh, going to take some time. You don't do it overnight. And, and then it's got to interface with somebody else's equipment that may not be updated yet. And that's going to create all kinds of new problems. Uh, is there a way out of this maze? Well, look, I mean, airlines obviously have to continue to invest, and I think the argument can be made that they should be investing more in their technology systems. You know, I think that I'd I'd almost rather see an airline say they're going to forgo buying one or two aircraft in favor of funneling that money towards more technology investment, uh, because it's frustrating when it doesn't go right. Um, um, And look, we saw Southwest in December get tripped up by some of its tech problems, Part of United's problems in July and uh, uh, during the July Fourth holiday weekend this past summer, just a month ago or so, two months ago, uh, were technology related. And of course, the FAA itself has had technology problems. And these aren't the only three, as you said. There have been a lot. Um, you know, and, until airlines start getting penalized in a financially meaningful way by the FAA, when these technology problems occur. Uh, I don't think they're going to take action. And unfortunately, I don't think the FAA is going to start finding airlines, especially not when the problem lasts an hour. Is that because the airlines have too strong a lobbying effort? Well, the airlines and the FAA can be cozy in some ways. And yes, you're right. The airlines do have a very strong lobbying effort and, and their lobbying group will fight any kind of additional fines, penalties, et cetera, uh, arguing that if they do it, they'll, you know, these fines will put the airlines out of business. All right, Henry Hardevel, thank you. Airline industry analyst, president of the Atmosphere Research Group, ground stoppage earlier today from uh, United Airlines. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. When it comes to Airbnbs, a lot of people have a lot of opinions. Some love them. Others say they hurt the local housing market. Yeah, one analytics company found Airbnb hosts in the city of Los Angeles are making more money now than they did before the pandemic. Now, this comes as many of them don't have active registrations with the city. In other words, they're not really going by the rules. Randy Rennick is an attorney and executive director of Better Neighbors L.A., which has been raising awareness about short-term rentals in L.A. and the impact it has. Randy, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, let's take it one step at a time. What rules are these Airbnbs in L.A. not following? Well, there's a couple of fundamental rules uh, that are key to the city's enforcement mechanism. Um, the first one is that each listing, each rental unit has to be registered with the city. Uh, and the city then only registers those units um, that are not rent controlled. And the city will only give out one registration to each host. So it doesn't allow for, should not allow for commercial hosts or folks to have multiple properties. So those are the, the fundamental rules. Um, and the rules are, are pretty good. The problem in the city is that they're not enforced. And so there's widespread uh, violations and, and literally thousands of illegal Airbnbs on the market. Uh, what's uh, the company behind Airbnb, their position on this? Uh, could they do a better job of enforcing on the people who use the service? Well, well certainly um, they can do a better job. They, they allow, uh, again, allow thousands of illegal rentals. Those are folks with, uh, without any registration or with fake registration numbers or using any number of different tactics to avoid the rules are allowed to list on these platforms. Um, and certainly we think we, we are certain that the city should be enforcing and requiring those platforms to follow the law as well. Now let's talk about money. Uh, how are they making so much money? 
Well, I, I, I'm not quite, um, I'm not quite sure. Given that in this market, the supply has dwindled. So, um, in the last four years, as a result of the pandemic, the number of short-term rentals that are available has decreased uh, about 60 or 65 percent. Uh, so, I suppose that because the supply is less, that the um, hosts are willing to get more money. And they're getting craftier. They're finding other ways to break the rules and evade the rules and, and make more money as a result. Are some neighborhood associations doing a pretty good job of uh, clamming down as far as they can? Well, there's certainly a lot of, of neighborhood organizations who are taking this problem seriously uh, and have been reaching out to the council and to the city attorney in efforts to get it enforced. But they, too, are frustrated. Uh, at least that's what they're telling us. They're quite frustrated with the number of illegal rentals in their uh, in their neighborhoods. Why is the city then being so unresponsive? Well, the city, um, I, I think the fundamental problem is that it's not a priority for the city and that the planning department, which is responsible for enforcement, hasn't, hasn't made it a top priority. And they don't issue the fines, collect the dollars, and seek enforcement at the level that would be necessary um, to root out all these unscrupulous hosts. And then you've got the problem of, in some cases, uh, crimes being committed because uh, these some of these Airbnbs been re- rented out for these uh, big, loud parties that create disturbances and police have to come out. Uh, what can be done about that other than the city really trying to crack down more? And it appears they're not. Well, it's a very real problem. Just last summer, or earlier in the summer, we had a there was a triple murder at a short term rental. It was in the city of Los Angeles uh, that. That host had not listed it, had not registered it with, but nonetheless, the platforms were posting it and making it available. So there's not just the problem with party houses and, and nuisance and noise, but real crime, uh, in this case, a triple murder. All right. Randy Rennick, uh, attorney, executive director of Better Neighbors L.A. Talk about the problems with short-term rentals in L.A. Ah, uh, watermelons. For many people, the most refreshing fruit to eat, not for Rob. No. No, because you hate them. All right. I don't like them. I wouldn't no, say like I hate them. them. No, you do hate them. I do. Okay. Yeah, you do. And and there's one sitting right in front of you. And I know. There's one sitting right in front of me. Now. And I'm staring daggers at it. Yeah. Waiting for like it to it. explode. You know, and it's going to feel, it's going to pick up that vibe. It is. Yeah. I hope it does. <laughs> uh, they are exploding. Some people around the country have reported that the watermelons have exploded. Now, to help us understand how this could possibly happen is Toby Amador, award-winning nutrition expert and best-selling author of Up Your Veggies. <laughs> Flex, that's a great title. Flexitarian Recipes for the Whole Family. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So when we hear that watermelons are exploding, what exactly is happening? Okay, so this is more of a food safety thing that's happening, and it actually is scientifically explained. So there's bacteria in um, the watermelon crop. happens to be there. It shouldn't be there, but it happens because it's in the soil, and there's bacteria in the soil. And so when that bacteria gets inside, when it's growing with the watermelon, natural yeasts and sugars uh, start to ferment, especially in these hot locations, Florida, Arizona, California, and that's where they're reportedly after a while, people come home, put them on the countertop, and so it gets, you know, the fermentation continues at that temperature. And then, you know, there comes a quote-unquote explosion when you cut into it um, from all the gas. So it, it, just, it, it, so. So it just goes bang? I mean, it just explodes? It doesn't go bang. I mean, it's, 
it, some people are, are, if you look on TikTok, they actually have some videos where they're showing it. I mean, if you, you cut into it, you'll see there's some foam or some gas. And sometimes it goes a little because it's gas coming out. Things right. are almost like a cork. I mean, because you know, Ro- it, it, Rob and I have, you know, we have watermelons yeah. sitting in, in front of us and, and we've been watching them for the past hour very mm-hmm. cautiously yeah. out of concern that at any moment they may explode on us. But you have to actually <laughs> cut into them. Is that it? A lot of times you have to cut into it, yes. Can it's it explode? going to happen when you cut into it. Can can that happen without it's cutting into it? every single watermelon. Um, I'm not quite sure. I haven't really had that happen. I'm in New York, so. But they have watermelons really have in New York. <laughs> they have watermelons, and they're very delicious. No, but the, the point is the, the environment, the temperature has been much higher in some of these locations also, making it a more uh, favorable condition for the bacteria to grow. Could I get a and also con- specific bacteria? Right. Uh, could I get a congressional medal if I get in touch with the United States military <laughs> and say I have an idea yeah. for uh, some new weapons that you can yeah. uh, harvest and watermelons? use? Uh, watermelons, exploding watermelons. That's it's not going to. Rather eat them. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not that kind of explosion, though. Well, I mean, you don't want to. No, it's not going to be that crazy. But right. I mean, it can be dangerous if you have, you know, if you're cutting it open and it's blurting all over you, no, you know, right. so, so what, what, to be pretty tough. All right. So, so, so it can be somewhat dangerous anyway. Uh, so what, what should somebody do to make sure that their watermelon is safe? Well, if any watermelon looks funky, like a little foam or there's a, uh, you know, at the store, then, you know, leave it. You're supposed to inspect with your eyes when you're, you're purchasing watermelon. Oh, right. And then when you get home, usually what's going to help halt some of the bacterial growth is refrigeration, which sounds weird to put your watermelon in the refrigerator. But given yeah. that it's really warm temperatures, that room temperature in your kitchen may, you know, continue to have that fermentation process. Um, and then when you're ready to have it, you know, sliced open, maybe wear an apron. <laughs> Eye protection. <laughs> a shield. Armor. Can you, uh, can you, can you take a straw or something and uh, slap it in there with a needle and maybe bleed off some of the pressure? No, no, you don't want to eat it because of the bacteria. So oh, yeah. Taste, I, it's not going to taste good either. Right. You don't want to eat it either. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was just going to ask yeah. you that. I mean, suppose you you do get one of these potentially exploding melons and you cut into it and it foams and all that because of the bacteria inside. Um, you know, some people probably would go, oh, what the heck, and eat it anyway. That's not a good idea. No, it's actually uh, so watermelon's actually considered from a food safety perspective a, a hazardous food. Really? Because it grows in the soil. Yeah, you usually have bacteria, right, from right. the soil. And yeah. um, you want to wash with a stiff bristled brush on the outside of the watermelon because that's where the soil and potentially bacteria come in. My and hatred so of watermelons it, has been vindicated. Yeah, you see you see what you've what you've done now, no, Toby. Yes, you fed no. into <laughs> Rob here hates watermelon. He's the only person I've ever met who hates them. And and you've now I've never inadv- heard of such a thing. See, you see, she hasn't heard it and she's an expert. Well, you know something my son, my son, yeah. my son actually he's 21. He hates all fruit but loves all his greens. No, <laughs> I just I really don't like natural things. I'm not a big fan of natural food. I like stuff that's been wrapped in plastic and created in a factory somewhere. Watermelon, you can get it wrapped in plastic. Yeah, but it's not made in a factory. It's in the dirt in the ground with the bacteria. You heard her. Well, I'll tell you, hot dogs are also potentially hazardous food, too. Yeah, but then that's <laughs> meat serious. of some okay. sort. But, but there goes all the fun things for, for like, summertime, right? Hot dogs, watermelon, okay. 
I'm fine with eating meat basically because whatever meat I'm eating is already dead. <laughs> True, but if you don't handle it properly, uh, this is, yeah. you know, the watermelon too, you got to handle it properly, wash your hands. So which is more dangerous? I mean, all that stuff. Uh, which is more dangerous, watermelon but or hot dog? Either can be, you know, if you have a cross-contamination with the watermelon and some of the bacteria can get into other things. But the same with the listeria of high-risk populations, like someone who is pregnant in third trimester, it could actually cause a miscarriage, too, listeria is known to do. So, you know, with each its own, but that's why good food safety practices are really needed in general. And to just know that, like, in your areas, if it's really warm and there's some listed uh, states that they're mm-hmm. finding this, just be more cautious right now when buying your watermelon and handle it with care when you open it. Toby, what about other melons? They all grow in the ground, too. Watermelon, can- uh, uh, cantaloupe, uh, uh, honeydew, that kind of thing. Do they have the same potential hazards with bacteria? They do. Sliced melon has a history of involvement with foodborne illnesses in general over the past. I taught the class for so many years in culinary school, but many, many years, at least since 1999 when I was teaching, started teaching the course. Um, so we do know that's why when you slice it, you're supposed to also refrigerate it right away too. Um, All right. So let let me ask this question. Uh, and this is Mm -hmm. very important. Uh, while we're discussing the, the various merits of uh, watermelon versus hot dogs, uh, have there ever been, has there ever been a case of a hot dog exploding? Not that I know. I rest my case. But I know that hot dog eating. Wait, the hot dog eating contest. I think the person exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Thank you uh, so much, Toby uh, Amador, uh, nutrition expert, you, best-selling author yeah. of Up Your Veggies. Yeah, uh, you feel you feel vindicated I now, don't you? Because she said that watermelons can be a dangerous fruit. I am totally vindicated or, or, by actually, this. Actually, they're they're a vegetable, aren't they? Yes, dangerous fruit. I think it's going to be the name of my next book. What? Uh, Dangerous dangerous fruit, fruit, yes. Uh, So I've got this watermelon, Charles, that that you brought in. Am I supposed to take this home? Yes, Yes. and give it a good home. You know what? I have to confess, I don't know if my wife likes watermelon or not. Is is your anger at watermelon also directed at things like fruit salad? Does it extend Um, to that? No, there's some fruit I like. I uh, like bananas. I like grapes. You know, but okay. uh, watermelon, no, not watermelon. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. gotta leave it at watermelon. That's that's gonna do it for the show today. I don't, I don't think there is any stone left unturned in today's episode. But we will do this again tomorrow at one p.m. My melon's expanding. <laughs>